I'm spinning in circles and talking to myself. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. Welcome to a new spin on autism. Answers with host and international speaker and performer, Lynette Louise. Besides working on her doctorate in psychophysiology, Lynette has raised eight children, six adopted, and four of them falling somewhere on the autism spectrum. Laugh with her, cry with her, as she talks to both experts and parents and takes you through the often confusing, sometimes frustrating, sometimes overwhelming, but always fascinating world of autism. Hello and welcome. This is a new spin on Autism Answers. I am Lynette Louise, your story teacher host otherwise known as the Brain Broad. And today, as always, we are going to have a wonderful day. Actually, we're going to try something different because I always try something different. So different has become the same, and that's sort of an eternal feedback loop that could get you very confused, so don't even think about it. Let's move on. Today we're going to do something that I haven't done already, which is I'm going to see, well, basically I asked myself this question. Is there something out there in the world of autism that I am completely unfamiliar with? That's my question. Is there something out there in the world of autism that I'm completely unfamiliar with? And if so, can I find a guest? We'll talk about it. And the answer is yes. I have no idea what the heck this thing is we're going to talk about. So that's kind of fun for me. I have no idea either if I'm going to have good questions or how it's going to go. So stay with me for the ride. But before we get into that, please remember to stay to the very end of the show where we will have stories from the road. And after hearing our two guests, I'm going to try and come up with something that pulls it all together and turns it into a theme and lands us on our feet. And I don't know what that'll be yet either. It's all unknown. This could be so exciting. Um, and of course, the guest after the one coming up is the okay, 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 great guest giveaway. So hang in there with me. It's all worth listening to, I think, because I don't know what the heck this is. And to kick that off, to kick the I don't know what the heck this is part off, we have Paul, I think you say his name loud, and I just asked him, but, you know, names, memories, all that stuff. Paul Loudon, he's a co-host of Understanding Autism. So apparently he understands a piece of it that I don't, because I don't know what we're going to talk about. It's called Google Glass Explorer. So let me explain to you why uh, Paul Loudon is the one who's going to talk to us about that. Um, he's a 31-year-old man. He's on the spectrum, <laughs> aren't we all? Um, and he was recently selected as one of the few creative individuals by Google Glass Explorer that can potentially see the benefits of this device for people living with autism. Well, good. He's definitely one of the few. I don't know what it is. So I was going to Google it, you know, Google Glass, Google it. But um, then I thought, how cool. I Like, let's go into a show where all my questions are from the sort of the standpoint of someone who is completely um, virgin to, to the subject matter. So let's see if that was a good idea or not. Welcome, Paul. Hi, happy to be here. Good. I'm happy to have you here. I think we're going to find out. So, Paul, what the heck is Google Glass Explorer? Okay, well, Google Glass Explorer is me. I'm one of the explorers. The device is Google Glass. So it's a wearable computer. And I know that sounds fancy, but that's really what Google's trying to get at with it. It's something that you put on your face. You can wear it over glasses if your glasses are small, or you can get prescription lenses for it and wear it as glasses, or just wear it even if you don't wear glasses. 
and it's a computer that you can talk to and have it do a lot of things that you might normally do with your phone. You can have it look things up, get directions, send and receive text messages, make calls, make video calls, take pictures, pretty much all that already, plus whatever anyone writes an app for in the future. So it's kind of like spyware for Google. It, you could maybe describe it as that, but it's pretty obvious. It's more of a thing that uh, is pretty apparently clipped on the side of your glasses. So it's, it's not covert in any way, but it's not big either. It's not heavy. It's very lightweight. It's, it's sort of, it's more there as a communication device for you than anything else in a lot of cases. I find one of the most significant uses I find for it in normal life is sending and receiving text messages and emails uh, by voice and having it read them to me. So I'm not digging my phone out of the pocket or if I get a text message, I can see if it's important really quickly, things like that. But uh, so the program was... So do you see it was, in the glasses? Like, okay, so if you're wearing the glasses and you get a text message, does text come up in front of you in the glasses like in Iron Man or something? Um, think about sort of the rear view mirror in your car that's sort of up and to the right. Uh-huh. It's a little screen that sort of sits in front of your right eye up and to the right. So you can glance up at it and see it, but it's not in your way 99% of the time. So if you get a text message or an email or any sort of update that would come to it, you'll hear a little chime in your ear, and it's a quiet little chime through a, a bone conduction speaker, so it's not covering your ear. The, the speaker's actually behind your ear. And then if you nod your head or tap Google Glass, it'll wake up and show you whatever it is that came in. And then you could say something like, okay, Glass, read aloud. And it'll read you the text message. And you say, okay, Glass, reply, oh, I'm sorry, I'm running a little bit late. I'll be there in five minutes. And it'll send a text message off to whoever sent you that message letting them know. So it's, it's sort of voice operated. And really, it's designed around being out of the way and not obstructing anything you normally do. Oh my gosh, the future is now. Okay, so, oh my gosh. All right, so, and you're using this. You're an explorer, so is there just a select number of people then that are trying out the device and collecting data on it, or can you explain that to me? Okay, so in around June last year, Google said, look, you've heard about Google last, those of you who are watching this kind of stuff, people who are really interested in, in this kind of technology. You've heard about Google Glass. We're going to select, I think it was either 6,000 or 8,000 of you. And to be one of those of us who are selected, you had to write a, a short paragraph to Google saying what you do and why you think you would have a unique perspective on how Google Glass could be used. And so I told Google, I am an adult on the autism spectrum. I was diagnosed as an adult at the age of 23 and that I do this Understanding Autism radio show, and I talk about what it means to be an individual on the autism spectrum, and I felt that I could look at how Google Glass could be incorporated into the life of someone on the autism spectrum. Plus, I know a lot of therapists and other people, people with maybe functioning and have more difficulty and other things like that, and I could talk with them and explain it to them and see what they think is other uses for it. And I was lucky enough to get selected. Wow, that's really cool. So did you get it free then? And you just, what, what's no, your actually, role now? We actually had to buy the hardware from them. Uh, I think that part of that was that they didn't want people who were just, uh, they also restricted it so you can't resell it on eBay or anything. I think they wanted to put some hurdles in place to make sure that anyone who got it wasn't just buying it so they could sell it later as a collector's item and wasn't just buying it to collect it for themselves, that they wanted people who were generally pretty serious about taking the job of exploring what it can do profess uh, seriously. So then 
over those six months, we've, uh, we've had an update every month that adds new things that it can do, that fixes problems it has. And we email Google when we encounter problems, when we have suggestions. Sometimes we, they, they send us surveys. So generally, those of us who've been part of this program have been shaping the, the development of the software that runs on it. Google knew what it wanted to do with the hardware, but it needed to figure out how people would actually use it in the real world to figure out you know, how to streamline it, what kind of problems people might experience with it, what kind of things it could do better, things like that. Okay, so how does it, it when you think in terms of uh, whatever symptoms brought you to want a diagnosis or need a diagnosis as an adult, the things you cope with, how does Google Glass help you with some of those symptoms and what are they? Well, I think one serious symptom that a lot of people in the spectrum have is just general self-management, keeping aware of the things that you have to do, things that are important, things like that. And uh, Google Maps, or sorry, Google Glass, I can't speak today. Google Glass well, has a, a lot... Well, take a deep breath from the diaphragm and slow down. <laughs> I speak quickly. I can't help that one. Okay. Sorry. All right. Let's keep going then. Google Glass is uh, very good at uh, delivering uh, appointments from your Google Calendar or reminders from Google Now, as well as having the ability though this is part of the software that still needs a lot of work since it's not an official feature yet, but it's coming, the ability to set reminders. And so you can tell Google Glass, remind me when I get to Kroger to buy cat food, or remind me on Tuesday to do this, or remind me Tuesday morning to do this, or all kinds of sort of just self-management reminders. And because it's so casual to set them, there's no digging your phone out of your pocket and typing things in, you know, that, that you can do it while driving by just nodding your head and saying, okay, Google Glass, remind me at 5 p.m. to do this, and then you're done. You have a reminder. That that whole aspect of trying to remember and organize things becomes so easy that a hard part of it, at least for me, was overcoming that, that barrier of effort. That there's a lot of motivational issues that I suffer from. And when it's so trivial, you don't really have to deal with the motivational issues. So helping myself keep organized and managed, uh, it's basically like having a personal assistant. And okay, so, so that, actually it reminds, you know what it reminds me of, and I can think of some problems with this too, so let's chat about it for a second. So sure. What it reminds me of is a shadow. So you know how often when the kids are in, uh, on the spectrum and they're placed in the school system, what they'll do is they'll get someone to shadow them or... Um, they'll call it an assistant, whatever you call it. It's someone to go along, mm-hmm. follow behind them, and say, no, actually put your hand here, no, actually do this, no, you know, bend your knees, you know, stop screaming, hey, here's your cookie, whatever it is they need. Um, they're basically shadowing them and prompting them all, the, all day long. And as wonderful as that is, it's also very problematic because then the kids start to become, it's like, it's like the shadow and the child become one personality and the, the shadow is dependent, uh, or the, the child is dependent on the shadow in a way that when the shadow is taken away or a new shadow is put in place that doesn't have the same rhythm down, uh, they fall apart or they don't know. And so they're not really learning the skills or generalizing them. They're learning that the shadow will learn the skill and help them with it. So I'm, I'm wondering, like, and let's just think about this for a second. So you, I love the idea. I love, just like I love the iPad idea, you know, and helping the kids communicate. But often it becomes something you're super dependent upon, and then you can't do it without it. So 
if you need Google Glass to remind you, you know, when you get to Kroger, maybe you won't bother to keep it in your head. Maybe you won't bother to develop the part of the brain that needs to pay attention in order to become yourself more organized. Have you thought about that? A little bit, yeah. And what I think with, with devices like Google Glass is that there's a significant difference between how an individual using Google Glass to augment their own memory and skills is different from having the shadow there. Because with the shadow, the person saying, oh, you need to remember to buy cat food is the shadow. And then the shadow is then, you know, with the cat food hypothetical. And the shadow later in the day says, oh, yes, I'm reminding you now that we need to buy cat food. And in this, I'm the one initiating it. I'm saying, okay, Glass, remind me to buy cat food. So there's a part of me that's being proactive in this that wouldn't be with the person who needed the shadow. And Thank the, you. you know, that's Glass perfectly is, said. Perfect. And the thing about Glass is, I mean, I think this, this would benefit people not on the spectrum, that everyone has things that slip their mind. And that the, the part that's beneficial to the person on the autism spectrum is that it lowers the barrier of entry into the kind of organizational skills, keeping a calendar, keeping reminders that other people also use. Everyone uses a calendar and reminders, but it makes it easier for them to get into that process because they don't have to stop and take time out of their day to do it. They don't have to have a motivation to sit down and go, what all do I need to do? When they remember that or come up with the idea that they need to do something, they don't have to wait until later to put it down. And okay, so, always, assuming you know, that, always assuming, Paul, that they have the kind of language that you do. Now, you're, oh, you're, yes. I'm, I'm other sorry. Than, right, other than the fact that you speak fast, you speak perfectly. You don't even have a tonal issue. So um, just think of the person who is scripting constantly. Then poor Google Glass is going to be giving them blues clues over and over again. So, yeah. Um, I, yeah, I guess I, mean, I should clarify that this is from the perspective of how it can help someone higher functioning. I think that the benefits it has to people who have more significant challenges, verbal challenges and other challenges, uh, can come down to how other people, uh, therapists and family, can incorporate glass into the ways that they help the person. Well, explain so, that. Well, one of the big features of Google Glass is that you can do video calls with it, where you can say, okay, Glass, make a video call to someone, and then whoever is on a laptop or another Google Glass or a, a cell phone can see what you're seeing. They can see through the camera on it that's facing what you're doing. And I can see a lot of uses for this for people who are helping those on the spectrum. Often, you know, a therapist might want to record a session or show the parents of a child an interaction saying, okay, here's what we're doing, here's how it looks from my perspective. And because Google Glass can record it, but it's a hands-free device, it's not the same kind of distraction as having a camera in the room or having the parents actively in the room. Right. So it allows, right. and because the parents can talk back and only the person wearing glass can hear it, it allows two-way communication between a therapist and parents really who are cool. interacting. Yeah, so it gives them opportunities to come up with new ways of performing or experiencing or teaching that remove some of the distractions that might be there if they wanted to record it in a conventional way. Oh, actually, that's really cool. Um, you know, I work with neurofeedback, and one of the reasons neurofeedback is so magical is the immediacy of the response to the brain. So when the closer the information is um, to the events, the quicker you learn it. And what that then means is that one of our biggest issues in the world is trying to get some kind of uh, congruence 
for all the people in the environment around the child responding similarly and responding quickly and immediately. And often when you're facing a child behaving in a way that surprised you, you can't think and don't know what to do. And if there's someone, and and the person watching through the two-way mirror or the the video always has an answer because they don't have the pressure on them. And so this would make you a real community of, of sameness if you chose to be that, and I think would really help the kids. It's pretty exciting, actually. Yeah, and um, just the two-way video chat, for someone like me, someone who's typically considered higher functioning, I mostly manage my own life decently, but there are also still times where something goes wrong and I'm completely at a loss. And having Google Glass with me gives me confidence in a way that other devices really haven't. And confidence is a huge thing because I know that I have this option of a video call that if things go wrong, perhaps I could call my parents or a trusted friend and say, look, I'm stuck at the rental car counter. Something has gone wrong. And rather than just being on the phone with them, they can see what I'm seeing with the person across from me. Do they appear angry? Maybe I'm missing visual cues that I should know about, but because I'm so flustered, I can't pick them up anymore. But it's like being able to invite a second person to be there immediately to help me with a situation that has gone awry for what reason or another. So it gives me the confidence to know that that option is there. And for me, because I have that confidence, actually, I've never used it, but just having it lets me go out of my comfort zone because even though I haven't needed to use it, I know that I do have this fallback plan, that I do have a way to recover when things go wrong that I didn't have previously. So it gives me the opportunity to maybe push myself a little bit further than I might have otherwise when working on my own state. Right, and it would also, you know, this is actually really, really exciting because um, one of the bigger problems is that we're so busy keeping our kids safe that we don't give them independence. And if you don't give someone independence, like you said, you don't push your comfort zone, you don't learn, you don't stretch, you don't generalize. So here is a way to be with your child, help your child, have somebody be with your child and help your child without being right there. Um, that's really cool. You could really create greater independence using this. That's a cool device. I'm very and excited I see, about uh, this. Sort of one other potential use based on some things I've learned. One other issue that's often a problem with people on the SM spectrum, and often something that, that's worked on, again, for people who tend to be higher functioning, is what I've heard called episodic memory, that ability to go back into your memories and attach, to, attach emotions to them, to be able to connect with the emotional state you had at the time. And I find that me and a lot of other people I've talked with on the spectrum, our memories are almost like events that happen to another person. We know intellectually I was angry or I was sad, but we can't really form an attachment to that emotional state and know how happy or how sad I was and relate to what it felt like at the time. And when you're wearing a device that can take photos, that can record audio, that can do a time stamp, a date stamp, show you the location, that if you were working on episodic memory with a therapist or with someone who knows uh, about how to help you improve it, having the ability to, throughout your day, if something makes you happy, take a photo at the instant it makes you happy, and maybe even say, this really made me happy because, and leave like a five-second or three-second voice clip for yourself, then when going back through the days or weeks events later and reviewing them, you don't just have a static photo. You have a clear recording of your emotional state, tone of voice, speed that you spoke with, everything that might offer the ability to reconnect with your past experiences a little better. And I'm not entirely sure about this. I think an expert in the area would be able to come up with better ways to use it. And this is something that once glass is out on the market, it'll need an app for because it's 
combining several features that you can use independently but don't come together yet. But I see it as sort of a potential, ideas like that, that people might come up with, with ways to help someone on the spectrum sort of become more in tune with their own experiences later on. Actually, what comes to my mind is, and it's not just people on the spectrum that have this issue, although it's really pronounced in spectrum folks, um, being aware of the signals that you're giving others is a real issue and um, in life, period, for everyone, but especially spectrum folks. And yeah. so if you have some a device, and I've, I work all the time with kids where we record their faces and we record their responses and then show them back to them. If you can do it at the time, you can see how you were maybe – um, instrumental in causing the person to be upset with you or instrumental in causing their happiness or instrumental in you know, com- your complicity, complicity, I can't get the word out, um, in life is the piece that is often missing for folks in the spectrum. So I'm going to give you a quick story that I, I remember when I was first trying to figure all this out years and years and years and years ago. And I read something about transactional analysis, and there was a guy, and he had a hidden camera in the room, and there's a mother and a daughter and a, and a psychoanalyst, and, you know, they're discussing stuff. And, and the mother has one vision of what's transpired, and the daughter has another. And the mother isn't at all aware that she's rolled her eyes and crossed her arms and, and given all these signals to her daughter of disapproval. And the, and the daughter isn't at all aware that she's, you know, done similar kinds of uh, sort of passing of emotional content through her body language. So when the psychoanalyst shows them the video, they're shocked. They're shocked that they are participating in the other person's reaction to them. And um, and that, that stayed with me so strong because I started to pay attention then to my signals to my family. And and this piece, the, you know, I've always tried to figure out how can I give this information in the moment that it's happening to people on the spectrum because they often really struggle with it. And I can see, a, it, again, you'd probably need an app they probably have to develop, but if, if they could just you know, push a button or say Google record or whatever and record themselves. Is that a possibility? Glass has got an outward facing camera. So all you can record is what you see, not what's seen of you. So unfortunate. Yeah, that's unfortunately not, you know, really something this hardware at least can do. Okay, well, you can give them that suggestion then and tell them we want some kind of mirror vision because that would be for all people really wonderful. Like just think of the husband and wife having an argument, right? And and they're like, I never said that and I did not do that. And then they go back over it and look at it and go, oh, well, okay, so maybe I did. Uh, So um, I think it would be useful everywhere. But it's, um, all right, so it's got its limits. All right, all right, I guess. Yeah, it has limits, Uh, but I think that... Just given the nature of it, being a wearable computer, I mean, it, it can run apps, it can talk with your phone, it can, uh, you know, send emails, get on Wi-Fi and do stuff and record or whatever, that, you know, it has a lot of potential just uh, waiting for people to come up with clever ideas. Um, it has Bluetooth, so, you know, and this one's a bit silly for something that's as complex as glass, but if you have a young child who is comfortable enough with, you know, contact that he could wear it, that as soon as they leave, you know, a certain distance of your house or or whatever, your phone, 
whatever it's Bluetooth paired with, then it could start recording video so that, and sending messages so that if the child is lost, you can see more about what's going on with them without sort of like, oh, tying a Bluetooth tracker to the leg. Because for them, it might be sort of a, a cool device that they can do stuff with, but at the same time, it's got an app there helping you not lose them. Things like that. that right. It really is going to depend a lot on how people decide to use it. But I right. see it as a really interesting potential technology, and it's really something that... You know, mostly I still use it the way a lot of neurotypical people like to use it, you know, sending text messages and things. But it also relieves a lot of stress for me about text messages because I feel a little bit obsessive compulsive about as soon as I hear my phone make that noise, I need to dig the phone out of my pocket and see if the message is important or not. And now I don't have to do that because it shows up in front of my eye and I can just see it and ignore it without interrupting whatever I'm doing, things like that. So it sort of helps with all my anxiety-inducing factors too, but mine are probably more unique to me than being general autism spectrum things. So, but I, I, I don't see know. a lot I of think potential. I think the one you just said is a pretty pretty uh, typical autism spectrum, OCD, uh, efficient type A personality problem. So I think that that really flies, actually. Okay, so uh, we're at the end of our interview. Is there anything special that you want to say, share with people, um, websites you want to talk about, anything like that? I'd like to let people know about our show, which is on the second Monday and Tuesday of every month at BreakRadioShow.com. You can also get in contact with us uh, about our show at uh, Facebook.com slash Understanding Autism Radio. Awesome. All right. Well, that sounds great. I'll have them listen in, folks. When you're not listening to me, listen to Paul. All right. Maybe I'll get Paul to put me on his. All right. So thank you so much for sharing this exciting technology with us. And Have a wonderful day. Stay fantastic. You too. Thank you very much. Well, that was a fantastic bit of information about Google Glass, and I have no knowledge of our next guest either. This is going to be awesome. Okay, so I decided to do a theme on I don't know what you're bringing to me, but it turned into I don't even know my guest because... (laughs) My my okay 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 great guest giveaway uh, guest got laryngitis so at the last minute check out how this person who you are about to listen to and we and she's by the way flying by the seat of her pants as she put it and I think that's funny because we're rushing this in so that I can fly by by the seat of Air France's pants and get the heck out of the country and go do a job so um, so we're really rushing and going to have a really good time the reason this is happening on. A new spin on autism answers with Lynette Louise, your story teacher host, otherwise known as the Brain Broad, um, is because I thought it would be really fun to see if there's anything out there in autism that I didn't already know about. So that was today's question. And my next guest got laryngitis. So my daughter, who I sent to a summit for publicity, uh, learning how to do PR work, has met a bunch of people. So she said, well, let me see if I can find someone with a giveaway that would be so kind as to jump on board. Now, we have to find a way to spin this into autism, and I think her name might be Belladonna, which I always thought was something to make your eyes pretty from homeopathy. So let's find out who she is, what she is, and what she has to offer. Hi, welcome, and thank you so much. Well, hello there, Lynette. Thank you so much for having me. It's a real honor. And uh, i got to tell you, it, I've been so busy writing my book, A Gift of Love, that I am just now getting back into the swing of things. And when I saw the posting at the site that you were looking, someone canceled out on you and you were looking for someone, it was like, well, I don't believe in coincidences. Let me jump in and see if there's something I can offer. 
Well, actually, if you have a book called A Gift of Love, you do fit in the world of autism because we believe that's a gift of love. It challenges you. It makes you rise up. It says, you know, here I am different. You have to learn how to be different. To learn how to be different, you have to examine yourself. So tell us about your book. Well, um, my name is Linda Deladonna. It's It's two words, my last name, but it's still my last name, and it's the name I was given at birth. Excuse me. And I... I was married to a very nice man for a long time, and um, he wasn't a celebrity, he wasn't a star, he never made big money, he never wrote a book, he never ran for office, he was just an ordinary guy who loved an ordinary woman in a very extraordinary way. And he died in my arms on our wedding anniversary, and on his deathbed I promised him I would write a book. It is 10 years in May, my husband is gone, and my book is out. It just was published, and I'm still in the process of getting my marketing together and working that. But I'm really proud of what I have accomplished with this book. It took a long time getting there. And the manuscript, by the way, sat for more than two years while I debated should I publish. But um, here it is. And, and that's a, a small synopsis. The story is not, um, it's a joyful story. I wrote a love story, and it's written as a novel, and it's good for anyone. And uh, it, it just chronicles his uh, untimely, the way we met, his illness, his untimely death, and, the, and my grief journey, and the woman I have become since burying my soulmate. When you say the woman you've become, have you found a way to turn that into something that can be bigger and more beautiful? Or yes. Talk about that. Uh, I've really found uh, you come through the grief journey. Grief, there's no such thing as um, one size fits all. Grief is a thumbprint, and there's no right way or wrong way to mourn the death of a loved one. I founded a website for individuals going through the grief process. I support these individuals. I have a following. Griefcase.net. There's uh, also, uh, I have a blog, book or bust at .blogspot.com. And there's also griefcase.blogspot.com. There's, uh, I'm on, I have an online presence. If you Google my name, you'll find me. And the book is available on Amazon. Anywhere you Google that name, it'll come up. You can get it anywhere. And it's a fast reading book. I, I knew that I had to, I knew my audience. But getting back to your question, the person I've become, I, I, I support individuals going through the grief process and I help and coach widows and widowers with uh, how, ways on how to turn upside down smiles right side back up again. And a positive attitude makes a big difference. We are all going through something. And my goal with the book was to fulfill the promise to my husband, but also if I could help just one widow out there, that's all I cared about. If I could help just one widow, I would be... I was validated. That's how I felt. And without even a press release and without um, doing any marketing whatsoever, the book is doing very – I can't get over it. And I'm getting reviews and calls, and it's kind of overwhelming, but it's also very rewarding. So my advice – now, autism, I am aware of it. I actually, right away, I'm thinking of why you're here today and why, like you said, there's no accidents. I've had kind of a 
a little bit of a grief theme a couple of times. And one of the reasons, uh, I think, I, it keeps circling back to it, is that when people get the diagnosis of autism, often it's a regressive diagnosis where they had a child that seemed to be, you know, developing just fine, and they fell in love with this adorable child in the future they imagined and the, the things that they thought were going to unfold next. And then all of a sudden, that particular person sort of goes away, and you're left with this new child. Um, it's the same child, of course. It's the same child with a developmental problem, but, but you experience it as a parent um, where you have grief and you have to let go of what you thought would be and embrace what is. And um, maybe that's the gift that you're talking about. Well, letting go, uh, as I point out in my book, letting go, it hurts. It's like licking a block of ice. It hurts to let go. And I really can understand letting go of uh, what you say uh, of the person and embracing the new person that is, is developing. It's got, it's, I think what it amounts to, and here is the connection I'm feeling, we're, we all need to learn we're not alone. The message we're not alone is so important. Yeah, it is, and that's a really nice one. So um, I, I applaud what you're doing with your work. I met your daughter. What a lovely lady. I was impressed. Yeah, fruit of my loins. So thank you for saying so. I love her too. She's awesome. Yes. So, but but um, it's important. I think um, I think with children, uh, they need love, and they need to know that they're important, and that it doesn't it doesn't it's imp- they're they're who they are, and as a grandmother with two little grandchildren. And a boy and a girl, sister and brother, 18 months apart, as different as night and day, uh, it's just important to know that whatever they are, whoever they are, they are fine just the way they are. I agree. I agree. And you have to, if you have a situation like that, whether it's the death of someone or the death of, it's really about death of possibility. So if you futured and thought it was going to go a certain way, now it's going to go another way. You have to let go of your old beliefs and projections and in order to see your new future. Well, I'm, I have to say, um, I re- when my husband and I had planned to retire. We had hoped to travel. Um, we expected to spend our last years together doing all the things we never could do before because we were so busy working and making a living and, 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 and living life. And it just didn't happen. Our plans didn't happen. It was a sudden diagnosis. Uh, within four months, he was gone, and it was really tough. Uh, I, I experienced a great deal of grief a great deal of sorrow. It was a struggle for me to come to terms with it, and I share that in the book. But I, I must say I have emerged stronger, uh, wiser. I, I just am a, a, a more positive person about myself. I make decisions. I no longer rely on someone else for my happiness. I have wonderful memories, 
and I'm blessed. I'm truly blessed. And I think there's a gift here for parents that are really coping. You know, maybe if they've lost a loved one, but in addition, if they're coping with the, you know, the letting go and the creating a new reality for themselves with their new situation. So I do have to rush us. Um, tell them how they can get to your website, uh, any contact information you want, and are we going to give them an offer of I have a, free a book. Gift? I have a book. Um, it's uh, called A Gift of Love, A Widow's Memoir, and you let me know who gets it, and they got it. Uh, my, my website is griefcase.net, bookorbust.blogspot.com. You are welcome to find me there. It chronicles my writing journey, and it will keep you up to date with some other stuff. There's a tab up there to the website and to the other blog, Griefcase and How I Began. I'm on Facebook. Google my name, Linda Della Donna, three words, just like it sounds. I love you all. I thank you. I wish everyone all happiness, peace, and joy. Stay safe. Thank you. And stay fabulous. Thank you for being my emergency guest. You're awesome. I'm so glad. I'm so glad you jumped on board. All right. Okay. Bye bye now. Bye bye. Okay, 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 okay. If you want to get that wonderful book that will help you to move into a brand new you, in a brand new future, in a brand new way, with your brand new beautiful, quirky, crazy little child, um, then just email me, Lynette at LynetteLouise.com and put in a gift of love in the subject line. If you're the first person, you get the book. It's that simple. All right, all right, all right. The question was, or actually the question is evolving, isn't it? It often does. It's sort of like, is there something out there that Lynette doesn't know about in autism? And then it becomes, is there a person that I've never met who wants to talk about something we'll try to relate to autism and spin into the world of autism? And now it's about stories from the road. It's about the value of not knowing. And sometimes there's a great value in that. In fact, we just were blessed by that. I had a new curiosity as I listened to my guests. I was I was sort of more present in a way because I'm going, okay, okay, I've never heard of this. I don't know what this is. There was no preamble before I started talking to them. Never talked to them before. Knew nothing about them. And there was something special in that, like meeting a stranger on the train. And and so you tell them all your secrets. You tell them all your stuff. You don't have any expectations of when they're going to judge you, when they're not going to judge you. And there's something beautiful in that when I work, too. So one of my uh, requests when I'm meeting a new child or adult uh, with a brain issue that needs help is that I not know too much, especially if they're nonverbal. It's especially important when they're minimally verbal or nonverbal because the world around them has decided what their meaning and what they're capable of. And I need to walk in with these fresh, beautiful eyes that says, I'm going to see you as capable, and I'm going to find the ways and the places in which you are. And it makes me try all kinds of crazy stuff that I wouldn't have tried if I was already accepting their sounds as meaning the particular things that everyone thinks they are or their actions as meaning what everyone thinks or their limitations as being in the same place that everyone said they are. So my story today is about 
actually a, a couple of kids, and I've talked about them before. I see them in a way as my as my failed family because it was more than they could do to keep hope alive and keep going and keep going. And the other children were very much older than is normally the case when I'm called in. Um, and the situation was dire, you know, the... The house was a shambles. The doors had all been, you know, pulled off and then padlocked, and and you know everything was. One child had actually literally ripped up a, a swimming pool, an above ground, literally ripped it up. That strength and and demolishing all mixed into one, and and he'd ripped up all the curtains, and it was just a real challenge. And they were in diapers and and not trained and not talking and just really challenged. And so um, I walked into this this scenario ready to do a lot of good work and to get them used to putting sensors on their heads and playing with me and responding and after three days well actually we took an extra two days so i apologize after five days we had a potty trained one and we had language approximations we had neurofeedback on the head and them cooperating and we had nobody getting hit. So it was really exciting when I left. And there was so much potential for um, change. And the reason that happened is because I walked in thinking, well, it's a mess. I wonder, I wonder why. I wonder what the, what's possible. I wonder who they are. It was my not knowing in advance that that there was going to be slamming and violence and throwing and biting and scratching. (laughs) And that that I would walk in and see scarred up faces and actual actual, uh, fresh scratches all over everyone and go, okay, (laughs) that got me there. And it it left me open and brave and, and capable to respond and not, not respond in a way that then triggered the behavior, but that actually reduced it. And we made big changes. Sometimes not knowing is, is where the beauty is. And the reason that this family, and again, this ties in. It's so interesting how that goes. There are no accidents. Um, the reason that these children come to mind for me is their family couldn't let go of, especially the mom, couldn't let go of the concept that they were vaccine damaged, that they used to be perfect and and that they should be able to be put back to perfection. And these children were, you know, old teens. They were like 16 and I'm 16 and 14, I think. And um, so they're not, they're not babies. There's a long journey of uh, having been damaged, of having been different, of having not met milestones, of having been abusive of, you know, to, the, to the family and to the home and to the, to the schools and, and having all this. And there was a lot to unlearn and a lot to change and a lot of brain changing that had to happen for them to even become adapted into their environment. So to think that, that you could just give a, a magic pill and unfold that back to, turn the clock back to the day that you feel you lost them. It's like, it's like believing that you can find the magic incantation that will raise the dead and give them back to you. Um, and if you're so focused on that, you won't embrace the future you have. So you don't know where you're at sometimes. You don't know what's coming 
You don't know what the right thing is to do. You don't know what your child means when they, when they speak to you in script or gibberish. You don't know why they won't go to the toilet. There's a lot of don't knows ahead. But what I can tell you is the don't knows can be your enemy or they can be your friend. If you decide to stick it, I know what the problem is in your way and refuse to keep an open mind because you're so focused on what you believe the solution is, you can find yourself chasing the wrong therapy for years. You can find yourself chasing um, a magic incantation for years. And in those years, your child could have at least healed enough to have adapted to his environment and to embrace his world and become independent and gift us with what's inside of him or her and share that special soul with everyone. I'm Lynette Louise, otherwise known as the Brain Broad. You've been listening to a new spin on autism, Answers. Thank you for being here, because without you, just be talking to myself. Thank you for joining the show today. Lynette is the author of the refreshingly honest and at times hilarious new book, Miracles Are Made, A Real-Life Guide to Autism. You can purchase this and other materials by looking on the webtalkradio.net website and clicking on the covers. You can also click through to her Facebook page and check out any show you may have missed by looking in the archives. We'll see you soon for another edition of a new spin on autism. Answers. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. I can't hear.